there is so much evidence that supports spending time in nature as beneficial to our health and wellness, decreasing feelings of stress, decreasing feelings of depression, increasing our attentional capacity, which is like how much brain space you have to like focus on a task. That's every everybody benefits from being in nature. From the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas, this is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. During the early days of the pandemic lockdown, my husband and I dabbled in birding while sitting in our backyard. So when I heard one of our own employees, John Rose, had a direct connection to birdability, I thought it could make a great episode. Birdability's vision is that birding truly is for everybody and everybody, regardless of disability or other health concerns. If that piques your interest, you'll appreciate this conversation with Virginia Rose and Freya McGregor. In 1973, at the age of 14, I was injured in a horseback riding accident, and I have been in a using a manual wheelchair ever since. I found birding at the age of 44. It took me a very long time. 30 years after I was injured, I started birding, and life changed. I found the community that I'd been looking for. I found um, a sense of physical and psychological confidence that I hadn't had before. Of course, I was loving the travel, the meeting of new people, the seeing new trails, the joy of learning. And I like to describe it as a lifelong learning experience. Um, And I wonder how many people are looking for that, a lifelong purpose, a lifelong learning situation. So um, with that said, I began then looking for other people who were in wheelchairs, who birded, and there weren't any. I was the only person in a wheelchair, you know, bushwhacking along with all these walking people. And it never bothered me. But at some point, I realized I am so happy. And I feel like I've found the person I'd wanted to be for a long time. And it, it was really at that point that I thought, I've got to help other people with mobility challenges find this. I want them to have the same kind of joy that I had. Where are they? (laughs) So that's when I started looking. And that's really when birdability began. Hi, my name is Freya McGregor. My pronouns are she, her. Um, I'm an occupational therapist and uh, I'm originally from Australia and my clinical background is in blindness and my vision services. I used to work at Vision Australia, which is the um, biggest provider of blindness and low vision services in the country of Australia. Uh, I'm also a bird eye. I've been birding my whole life, although I didn't get serious until I moved to Texas after I fell in love with an American. He's in the army, so we no longer live in Texas, but we used to live in San Antonio. And I suddenly discovered all these cool birds that I didn't, unusually, I didn't just know what they were called. My parents were big birders. I just knew the birds around me in Australia, but there are so many awesome birds in Texas. Texas is an amazing place to discover this passion. There's different birds in the valley to the birds on the Gulf. There's different birds in East Texas and West Texas and the Panhandle and Central Texas. They're all different. And migration, when all these birds that fly south for the winter, they fly north for the summer to go breeding high up. A whole lot of them fly through Texas. It's a pretty exciting place to be a birder. 
And uh, as an occupational therapist, I, it was so exciting to hear about Virginia and this, this idea that there's so many joys and so much meaning to be had from birding, but so many people with disabilities and other health concerns might not know about it. So Birdability became a nonprofit in January last year. I'm the Director of Programs and Outreach. Uh, I'm currently the only staff person, but we are hiring, which is exciting because there's so much work to do in such a good, exciting way. Because of my background, when Virginia and I started talking about this, um, she was talking about people with mobility challenges. And I thought, well, wait a second, people who are blind and have low vision can totally be birders too. You can bird by ear. Most sighted birders bird by ear to some extent. If we're going to do this, like let's do mobility challenges and people who are blind or have low vision. Oh, wait, we can't leave everyone else out. <laughs> so, so birdability now is all about anybody with a disability or another health concern. Some people like me, I have an access challenge. I have a dodgy knee, but I don't necessarily identify as being disabled other people with maybe they're going through chemotherapy like with a cancer diagnosis or maybe they are currently pregnant or maybe they just had surgery and they're recovering for a few months they might not see themselves as disabled but they definitely have access challenges and birding and being out on trails and being part of this really cool exciting hobby enjoying nature can be difficult and there's things we can do to make them less difficult and that's a lot of what we're about about ability so tell us a little bit more about the organization and the programs and services that birdability offers so there's three main spokes of BirdAbility's work. Uh, one is addressing the physical accessibility of birding locations. So they might be trails, they might be bird blinds, they might be feeder stations or car birding locations, anywhere you can be birding. Often there will be places that say, oh, we have an accessible trail and you show up and it's really not quite as accessible as it should be. And so we're not trying to have, you know, paved flat trail up Mount Everest, things like that. But we are trying to increase the understanding of what an accessible birding location really, really is so that there are more of them so more people can get out if they want to. Another spoke of our work, and we call them spokes because it's like a wheelchair's wheel rolling on, you know, feeding into themselves. And they, it's important that we're addressing all of these things to do our job really well. Um, we want to encourage and empower a welcoming and inclusive birding community. Because if all the other birders, no matter how accessible a place is, if all the people using it, if all the programming at nature centres and state parks and stuff, if the people encouraging participation and, you know, have a bit of understanding that, oh, someone who's blind can also be a birder, like, you know, shock horror, what a, what a, what a strange idea. If they don't realise this, they might be creating barriers themselves without, without knowing. And then the third piece of our work is actively reaching out to um, the disability community and telling folks, hey, there's so much cool stuff you can get out from spending time in nature, from enjoying birds. We want you to come birding with us and inviting people to share the joys of birding. So we have a network of volunteers around the US and we do a lot of work trying to empower them to do this work in their own communities as well as the things that we do ourselves. Can I kind of build on that? Where are all the disabled people? Um, at that point, I just made a list of 
all of the various places where I might find them. And so I began with the spinal cord injured group at St. David's and from there went to the amputees and gave a presentation and picked up two or three interested people. And then I went to the amputee support group and gave the presentation and picked up one or two more people. And then I was able to go to the Easter Seals gym and talk to the people there and picked up two or three people there. And then I just kind of continued waking up every morning and going, oh, I can go to the school for the blind. Oh, I can go to the veterans centers. Oh, I can go to the disabled kids camps. Oh, I can go to the centers for independent living. So I approached Brookdale and talked to their recreational director. And I said, wouldn't your seniors love to get on a van and meet me at an accessible trail for quarterly walks? And they said, yes. And then I realized Rehab Without Walls, which is an amazing organization in Austin, Their entire theory is that more authentic activity, more authentic therapy is not going to be in the gym. And I love that because what that means is that each client is able to voice where he or she is happiest. And if that means they're at a bowling alley, that's where the therapy happens. If that means it's a birding trail, that's where the therapy happens. And so I did a presentation to the Rehab Without Walls group. There were 50 therapists in the room. And I, at the end, said, who's interested? And everybody raised their hands. So we started quarterly walks with the Rehab Without Walls folks. So I just wanted to let you know how there are so many people that you can catch that are going to be benefiting from being outside on trails. You've already talked about some unique collaborations with organizations and different places, but do you have an example you can share of maybe collaborating with a park or a trail or, or another outdoor group to provide access to birding for everybody? In February this year, Virginia and I were at the San Diego Bird Festival, which was really fun. It's one of those great big, you know, four-day bird festivals, lots and lots of bird outings and programs and stuff. And one of our outings that we held, um, an accessible outing, we were told that this place called Tecolote Canyon uh, Natural Area, which is run managed by the city of San Diego, would possibly be a great place for a future accessible outing. So we went to check it out and because, you know, sometimes we can't take everyone's word for it. And so we went to see and there were so many birds and it was a great trail, but there was all this gravel at the start of the trail. And gravel is one of those surfaces that can be really, really tough for a lot of different people with different access needs. But then after that, it was a dirt trail. And apart from a few potholes that were puddles, it was a good trail for not everyone can do a dirt trail either. Everyone has different access needs, but there was this sort of unnecessary amount of gravel at the start and we ran into a ranger had a great old chat with her she was really excited about all of our work and what we're doing and wanting to make wanting to make the the this park as accessible for as many people as possible of course like you have this great resource why of course you want people to come and enjoy it and uh, we said hey well do you know why there's gravel at this trailhead because it's creating a barrier that doesn't like is it helpful and she was like oh I actually have no idea why there's gravel there why is there gravel there huh, why is it a problem? And Virginia explained about the little wheels of a cast at the front of a wheelchair. And I explained that some folks who are autistic, the crunching on gravel is just too much to deal with. And people with balance issues, big gravel can be really unstable and hard to walk on. And she's like, oh, wow, I'm going to make sure that gets removed. I have no idea why it's there. It shouldn't be there. It probably just was excess and they just chucked it there because they have nothing else to do with it. And it was a really, really good example of the lack of information and knowledge that 
most places have because it hasn't been people just don't know and it's not like they're trying to create barriers they just didn't know and of course they want more people to come and it's a little bit of positive advocacy you know it's exciting that we can we can make that trail more accessible to more people just with the 20 minute chat with this friendly ranger yeah and you could totally see her face just light up right Freya I mean she was just like you could see this whole new sort of energy emanating from her. And honest, I have to say that happens with us a lot. I think it's something that people want right now. It's some positive, cool, good thing to spend time on. And I have another quick example of working with the Balcones Canyon lands here in Austin. It's just a beautiful spot and it's a wonderful place to bird. And it's always been difficult for me. So the Balcones Canyon lands people called me and said, well, will you come out and help us with our disabled trail? Because we know that it's a mess and we have funds now to fix it, but we want you to guide us. And so I showed up and we spent two hours and those two federal were just taking notes and just, again, enthusing about how exciting it was to get an accessible trail. And I was just pointing out every single thing that could be improved upon. When we left after two hours, we were like, you know, old buddies. And so they went ahead and booked me for the, what are they? Oh, it's called the Shinoak Observatory, where the Black Captain um, Vireo shows up for breeding. And so anyway, that's one of the fascinating things is like once an organization like a city park or even a federal organization like Canyonlands means that that ripple effect just keeps going wider and wider and wider. And if folks don't know what a black cat Vireo is, it's a really cute little bird. Uh, it's got a black cap and they are really special because the only place that they breed, that they have babies and raise their young is Central Texas, the only place in the whole world. There's two birds that do that, black cat vireos and golden cheek warblers, and they're the only, the only place in the whole entire world is Central Texas. So it's pretty exciting to be somewhere near these. They're both endangered and they're both gorgeous and they're very cool. And now they're going to be accessible. So some folks may be listening and wondering, explain how birding can be accessible to those who are blind or have low vision. So maybe provide some examples of how birding is beneficial to that community. Well, birding and spending time in nature is beneficial to everybody. We are part of nature. Humans are supposed to be not locked up in a room. There is so much evidence that supports spending time in nature as beneficial to our health and wellness, decreasing feelings of stress, decreasing feelings of depression, increasing our attentional capacity, which is like how much brain space you have to like focus on a task. That's every everybody benefits from being in nature. And birds are such a cool excuse to spend time in nature and get all those health and wellness benefits. Most birds make noise. Not all the time. And summer, spring and summer are definitely the noisiest times of the year as birds are showing up in the places that they're going to be breeding. And the, often the males, but females too, sing to try and attract the ladies and to tell other males, like, back off, this is my territory. And so spring and summer are the, the most noisy times of the year for birds. And so many birds can be identified by ear, birding by ear, where you hear a call and you different birds make different noises. And, and you can tell birds apart by the noises that they make. Once you get good at this, it's the same as if you're birding visually, you have to, it takes a little bit of practice to figure out the difference between two things. But after a minute, like you, you get onto it. And so Carolina wrens are really common 
Um, they're small brown birds, often in backyards. They are the loudest bird by body size uh, in North America, if not the world. And one of their classic calls, there's lots of these things uh, we talk about mnemonics. They're like memory tricks. And so one of the sounds that Carolina wrens make is tea kettle, tea kettle, tea kettle, even though they're not really saying that, but it kind of sounds like that. And cardinals, really nice, um, bright red. The males are bright red. The females are brown and red. They're really common in backyards too. They, to me, their call sounds like a little laser beam gun, like pew, 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 kind of not quite like that. I'm not very good at imitating bird calls, but the point is that different birds make different noises. And so you can, if you want, learn to bird by ear. And birding is just as accessible that way as birding by sight. There's no, no wrong way to enjoy wild birds. And there's lots and lots of resources out that help people learn how to bird by ear. One of them that's really, really cool is an app that's free. It's called the Merlin Bird ID app. It's created by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, which is a really big research, bird research institution. There's a sound ID feature. And if you've ever heard of Shazam, it's like Shazam for bird sound. So you can press the record button and it listens to the noises around you and it tells you what bird thinks it's hearing, which is a really nifty tool to help you learn birding by ear. Now, I'm not entirely sure that it's talkback or voiceover accessible. I'm trying to work with the Cornell Lab on that because some of the apps have not been in the past, but they want to make sure that they are. So that's, that's you know, an in-process kind of thing. But there are more and more birding by ear resources. There's lots and lots of free ones. You can just Google that. Um, there's online courses and there's lots of Audubon chapters and bird clubs and ornithological societies who have, you know, a birding by ear workshop via Zoom or in person and you can learn that way as well. So many times when I am leading bird events, people will stop me and ask me just with so much earnestness. They'll say, why is this so enjoyable? And I tell them, I think it's because when you're birding, you are required to pay attention. You have to pay attention to your senses. You have to listen to everything you hear. You may not see that there is a Cooper's hawk in the tree, but if you're listening, you will hear all the birds mobbing that hawk, and that's how you know there's a hawk. You are listening to the water. You're listening to the trees. You're listening to the voices around you. You are paying attention to what you smell. You're paying attention to what you feel. The tactile sense is heightened. All of the senses are taken into account when you're birding. And that, I think, is such a very important thing for all of us to do. Another really cool thing about birding by ear is that there are a handful of birds that look exactly the same. And if you are only relying on visual cues, you won't know which of the, like there's a bird called a greater yellow legs and a lesser yellow legs. And they, one slightly bigger, that's the greater one, um, but they look exactly the same. And it's most reliable way to know which is which is to hope that one of them makes a noise and they sound different. And there's a whole stack of other birds that there's like these pairs, you know, where they look the same, but you have to, in order to know which one it was, you've got to hear the bird. And so birding by ear, I mean, like I said, there's plenty of sighted birders who bird by ear I know sighted birders who bird by ear exclusively because it's so reliable and 
other times too, there'll be birds like in a big tree high up or behind a lot of leaves. And even if you were looking for it, you're not going to see it. But if it's calling and you know what that call is, you can identify that bird. It's just as valuable as seeing the bird. Birders would say it's the diagnostic. It's the diagnostic. So if folks are people who are really good at birding by ear are invaluable if you're going birding with someone else or in a group, you know, someone who's got really good birding by ear skills, like you're like, oh, oh, it's it's like, and so many, so many sighted birders are like, oh, I'm really, really terrible at birding by ear. So there's so much scope for like people who are good at listening to get really good at this skill and impress the socks off so many other folks. That's so great. Like, I know that some of our students are the best listeners. I know like they hear everything everywhere. (laughs) So just because they're paying attention. So I could see this being so valuable as, uh, as an activity here. I'd like to tell the story of the very first time I had a birdability event. I scheduled monthly birdability walks and on the very first event, four women who did not know each other, who all four used wheelchairs, showed up at the site. And we did quick introductions. And then we started down the trail. And as the leader, your job is primarily to find the birds, help others see the birds, if the bird is vocalizing, to help them learn the song and to try to work on finding the bird based on the vocalizations and, you know, whatever interesting information there is. And so I'm ahead of the group, kind of looking around and waiting for birds. I finally hear or see a bird. I turn around and that group of four women is nowhere near me. They are circled up and they are having a wonderful old time. They just met. I turned around and I kind of quietly crept back and I overheard them talking about wheelchairs, about shoes, about transportable coffee cups, about backpacks. And I realized as I was creeping up on them, like, this is community right now. These women may not have ever met. And that really made me just joyful. And I looked at them and I said, you guys, you're missing the birds. And they just kind of looked at me like, it's no big deal. And I realized then, oh, yeah, for the first and not the last time, oh, yeah, birding is about people, too. (laughs) It, It was a really great experience for me. That reminds me of a lot of the um, the short-term programs we have on our campus where the kids come in for a few days and we bring them in to learn about something real exciting, I'm sure, like technology access, and they would rather spend more time socializing with each other. So it's understandable. <laughs> That's great. So if somebody wanted to volunteer with BirdAbility or support your work in any way, where can they find more information? Our website is birdability.org. There is a lot of information on our website, freely available about uh, what makes an accessible birding location, about how to be a welcoming and inclusive birder, about things that inclusive organizations can do. There's a really cool resource up there called the Birdability Map, and we do that with National Audubon. And anyone can submit a site review telling us what 
the accessible features are available at a birding location like a trail or a bird blind so that anybody else can search and find accessible birding locations and find out ahead of time the detailed information that very often is not available anywhere else, even on that location's website. We are on social media at Birdability on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. People can please, please give us a follow and and share about our work with the people that you know, share our posts, um, share our resources. The more people who know about this, the more people might discover that birding is such an awesome thing to do and so fun. And there's a really amazing online birding community too. The Instagram birding community is my favorite, but there's a really cool birding community on Facebook and on Instagram and Twitter as well. And so that's the other really important thing to know about birding. You don't have to be outdoors. You don't have to be in a group. You don't have to be on a trail. You don't have to be attached to an organization or a bird club. You can go birding by yourself. You can be in your backyard or on your school campus. Um, you can be birding. People, I know people who bird from their bed because they have maybe chronic illnesses and getting up can be really challenging sometimes. You can enjoy birds anywhere. That's the thing about birds. And you can enjoy them in all sorts of ways. You can enjoy them on nest cams and webcams and virtual birding programs. Birds are really accessible. You just have to want to find them. They're there and however you enjoy them is perfectly excellent. There's no wrong way to enjoy wild birds. So if folks want to get in touch, um, there's a contact us form on our website and there's anyone can lead an accessible bird outing or anyone can Ask their local um, disability support group if someone wants to go birding or link up their local Audubon chapter or bird club to another disability group. And you don't have to have any special qualifications to do this. And that's the, the resources on our website will really help you sort of feel a bit more prepared to do that if you're interested. And the more opportunities we can create to share the joys of birding with people who are blind or have low vision or who have any other disability or other health concern, the better as far as we're concerned. Do you know an infant or toddler in Texas who may have a vision problem? They may qualify for free services. Support from a teacher of students with visual impairment may increase a child's success in school and life. Call 817-740-7530 to find out more. That's 817-740-7530. I am really interested in pursuing increased birding on our campus. Our location in Central Texas certainly lends itself to cataloging and researching our fine feathered friends. Thanks to Virginia and Freya for highlighting the benefits of birding. From the TSBVI Outreach Department and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.